0: Hello and welcome everybody. You are listening to the Seven Point Highlander podcast. My name is Millie, I am one of your hosts. And also joining me is Sav. Hello everyone. And Vance. Howdy everybody. So welcome to the show, thanks for listening. Um, We've got a great episode planned out for you today. I'm just going to put a little bit of a note at the start here that we do have a winner of the Damping Sphere competition that we were holding earlier um however you'll need to listen till the end of the episode in order to get that just and just another note is that based on when we record these and when the episodes actually get published um, you'll probably be listening to this after Eternals Weekend down in Victoria. So as a result, we won't be discussing the results of the Highlander competition on that weekend. But we're very excited to see everybody turned up. We hope that if you if you were there, you had a really good time. And um, in the next episode, we should be discussing the results of that. All right, so... The other thing that will have happened by the time this episode goes up is that Battle Bond will have just been released. Yay. We're pretty excited about some of the cards that we've got in this set because it looks like they've, once again, with the draft for, like format fun set that they've released in the middle of the year, they've kind of gone for taking advantage of the ability to put cards into uh, vintage and legacy without having it go via modern or standard. So the power level is pretty pushed. So um, this episode will be dedicated to a set review of Battlebond. We'll be taking a look at our cards that we think are going to make an impact or might have an impact um, on Seven Point Highlander. But before we do that, we're actually going to start a new segment. Uh, Saav, did you want to tell us about it?
1: Yeah, the new segment is called What's the Point? And basically we go, well, why does this card have a point? And we thought... What better card to talk about the first time around for What's the Point than a card that's being reprinted in Battle Bond? It is the Notorious TNN, True Name Nemesis. Vance, do you
2: want to tell us about why this card is a point? True Name Nemesis, what a nasty card. So for anyone listening who doesn't know what it is, and you probably should, it's a (laughs) a three mana blue card, so it's two blue and one, and when you play it, you pick an opponent, preferably the one you're playing, uh, and it has protection from everything they do. Um, I just did a spit take when you said that. <laughs> yeah. That was great. Yeah, like preferably you... your opponent. Yeah, pre- preferably the person you're playing. Yeah. Um, so why is this card a point? Well, it's, it's very ubiquitous. So any blue deck's going to play this. It's, it's efficient. So three mana for a 3-1 is not the best deal in the world, but it's pretty good. It's extremely difficult to remove. And it gets to act as either an unblockable threat or the abyss most of the time, uh, particularly against decks with smaller creatures. So you, you know, if you're playing Zoo or White Weenie or something, and you swing into it, it's going to get to eat one of your creatures. You'll do a little bit of damage around the side, which can be a viable strategy. But if they've got anything else going on, it's pretty nasty. So why is it a point? There's one other card which I'll actually talk about uh, during the Battlebond review, which has been similar in the past, which is morphling, which was a point because it was very efficient, hard to kill everyone played it um, and true name has all those properties and more really so blue has to counter it on the way down blacks probably got the most option realistic options for dealing mm. with it um, in various sacrifice effect uh, red has pyroblast very when it's little on the stack that's the only time or mm. you can make damage unpreventable this turn oh, after right. block skullcrack crack. <laughs> yeah, you can skull crack them and kill it, which I've done, uh, which is fun. Green has pretty close to stone nothing. And white's got like Council's Judgment and um, Tariff and those sorts of cards. So, yeah, it's it's very, very hard to kill for most decks. And unlike something like, say, Geistercentra, which is a very good threat that you can't kill with spells, you can't block this. You can't, you know, put something in the way even just to prevent it getting through. And as I said before, it If you're attacking and you don't have Trample, it just Stonewalls whatever you're doing. So it's a card that if it wasn't a point, everyone who could play it would play it. Quite a lot of people play it anyway. uh, And it's very, very hard for most decks to deal with. So that's why it's a point.
1: Yeah, I think you've summarized what's the point pretty well there. I mean, it's so many times it's like, would you like to play a blue Sulfuric Vortex that only hits your opponent... Domes them for an extra 50% than Sulfuric Vortex does. Three damage a turn. And also Maze of Ith's your opponent, uh, opponent's best creature. It's it's really... Often killing it. Often killing it if they decided to al- try and alpha strike you. It just does everything.
0: <laughs> it's definitely one of the favourite cards that... I run in a blue-black deck because sometimes you can just get it to hit the field on turn three and you've got a seven-turn clock and probably a six or possibly even a five-turn clock if your opponent has been doing damage to themselves with fetches and that sort of thing. Um, it's just really hard to justify not spending a point on True Name Nemesis.
2: Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's it's very true. that If you play it on turn three or turn two, if you've got some kind of acceleration, it's just such an efficient clock before your opponent set up, it just put you just put it down and say, "All right, you better win pretty fast through all my removal because I'm a control deck probably, um, or you just toast." Anyway, that's true name Nemesis.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right, thanks for that summary, guys. And with that, we're going to get straight into our set review. So we've organised the creatures and well, the creatures and spells that we are interested in. Uh, roughly in color order. We're going to start with the cards that we're most interested in and then we're going to have some honorable mentions at the end that we're not going to discuss as in depth. So I figure I'll get started and the first card of the rank is Arena Rector. It's three and a white for a creature, human cleric. When Arena Rector dies you may exile it. If you do, search your library for a planeswalker card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library and it's a one-two. Oh, oh boy.
1: man. This card is so exciting. Now, I've seen a lot of people discussing the things that they want to uh, fetch out of their deck with Arena Rector. And it's you know when you're playing Academy Rector, because obviously that's the best comparison for this card. When you play Academy Rector, most of the time people are finding Omniscience, aren't they? And then they go, well, I'm going to then cast my spells for free and find some way to win the game. Often with what we expect Arena Rector to do is it doesn't need to find, say, Omniscience for Academy Rector and then the WinCon. It finds the Wincon by itself, and that Wincon will probably take the form of Ugin the Spirit Dragon, or maybe maybe the Planeswalker Nicole Bolas. So I can imagine this card would slot straight into Uh, a combo deck like Flash Hulk but I can also imagine people brewing something new with this which is what is exciting about new cards you know whether some not just it fits into an existing archetype but when it creates its own and I can really imagine someone having a super friends deck where this plays more of a fair role and finds another one of your super friends another one of your uh, planeswalkers but I can also see this being a really lovely combo card what do you think Vance
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously the scariest things to happen on turn two or three of the game is your opponent plays Nickel Bowler's Planeswalker, destroys a land, (laughs) and you've got not very much time to get out from under this lock before it's just, the game has finished, they will eventually deal with you after some long punishing uh, wait.
0: That's very on flavor, really.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Nickel Bolas just shows up and wrecks your house. Um, and, and Ugin's pretty similar. They play, play Ugin and bolt you in the face or wrath away everything you've got out and then just, you know, bolt everything you play. So basically, you're saying that legendary
1: dragons are really bad house guests. Ah, uh, absolutely. Particularly when they turn up for turn two or three rather than turn seven or eight. Planes walking into your house?
0: This does play into one of my favourite parts of um, Highlander, which is that we do see Planeswalkers and we see more Planeswalkers than just um, Jace the Mind Sculptor. So I'm really mm. looking forward to seeing what people do with this card because like, it is going to turn up in decks and it is going to turn up as soon as possible.
1: Mm. Mm. Well, maybe we'll move on to a card that is not so much of a no brainer because we can tell Arena Rector will find a home. It's just a matter of what its home looks like and whether it's going to be wrecked by Ugin. And the bad party guest dragons. Let's look at a bit more of a fair card. This card's called Brightling. It's one white, white, so it's three mana for a shapeshifter, maybe relevant. Uh, and it's a three-three. So on on the basics, it's just it's equal to its minor cost, but it has four abilities. The first three abilities all have a, a white minor symbol. Brightling gains vigilance until end of turn or Brightling gains lifelink until end of turn or return Brightling to its owner's hand. The last ability is a single colorless and it's the morphling ability which is +1 -1 one, one, or -1 +1 one, one, until end of turn. So obviously we've got a little
2: morphling throwback fans. What do you think? This guy's really interesting. Um I think it has the potential to be quite powerful in the right deck. I'm just not quite sure what the right deck is. So it's <laughs> It's funny to think about how much better, well, how much better creatures are than they used to be, and how much worse the morphling ability is now that damage doesn't go on the stack. <laughs> so back in the day, before well, most people listening were playing, probably <laughs> morphling was a point on the five-point list. Um, so the equivalent of almost two points now, because it was ludicrously the best win condition for control decks. Mm. There were heaps of control decks where you'd play. I'm morphling and not bother playing any other threats because you didn't need them. You'd win eventually with it more because your opponent could never kill it. Brightling's not as good as that and the game has moved on to the point where morphling's also much much worse than it used to be. But if you're playing some kind of aggro-white strategy, a 3-mana three 3-3 three, three is not the worst thing in the world. You can grow it, you can gain some life and it's hard to kill. That's okay. Um, and also potentially some, if you're playing uh, like blue-white control, this isn't worst kill condition in the world Hmm. you're probably not playing it until you've got five or six mana but you can play it and then buff it out of the range of a lightning bolt or return it to your hand and then it's going to gain you some life and deal with some little creatures so yeah I mean as Sav said it's not it's not a card where it's just like a slam dunk into some deck but I don't know I think it could easily see some play It's It's a useful
0: tool to have at your disposal if you're running white but you do need to be fairly capable of spending a lot of a lot of white mana with the one white white mana coster and then white needed for all of its abilities so yeah. um we'll see how that plays out it may be a fair point against it in our format
1: definitely yeah
2: yeah and realistically most of the time the cost is one triple white because you want an extra white to save it at least once
1: true exactly true. and i think that is its benefit in over the other lings you know there's been torchling and thornling and this, All of them were reminiscent of the actual Morphling and at 5 mana. And then we had Etherling, which was like a, an upgraded version of Morphling for the new rule set. And that was 6 mana. But this, I think the selling point of this card is that it is 3 mana. So if it does see play, it's because it's 3 mana, not because it has any magical ability beyond the other Lings. Because the others all did something very, very similar. They just cost 2
2: more mana. Yeah, and two is a lot of mana. Mm.
0: All right, so on to the next one, and uh, I'll get Vance if you could read it for us.
2: So the next one's called Together Forever. It costs white, white. It's an enchantment. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you support two. So you put a plus one, plus one counter on each of up to two other target creatures. And its other ability is one... Choose target creature with a counter on it. So one uh, colorless choose target creature with a counter on it. When that creature dies this turn, return that card to its owner's hand. So... Millie, that sounds like a card with some interesting uh, text from a judge's point of view.
0: <laughs> yeah, when I first read it, I was I was a little underwhelmed. I was like, oh, we can kind of do some fun stuff with plus one, plus one counters on it, I guess. And then I was like, wait, a counter? It doesn't care what sort of counter is oh, on it. What? It could be any type of counter. It could be a plus one, plus one counter, a Ooh. minus one, minus one counter. So it automatically is set up for any undying or persist card that's already um, hit the graveyard once. Um more interestingly, um, it can, it'll care about planeswalkers and their loyalty counters, oh. so um, Gideon uh, or Sarkin are the two planeswalkers, I believe, that tend to attack as creatures. Um, if someone finds a way to get rid of Gideon's indestructible or just destroy Sarkhan, um, then it will return them to your hand.
2: Yeah, or if they make you sacrifice Gideon or something.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, It doesn't really care how it dies, just that it dies, and then it will put it back in your hand. Um, I can't think of examples off the top of my head, but I'm sure we can all think of some cards across Magic's history that put miscellaneous kinds of counters on various creatures, be it for whatever reason to... I know that there's been arrow counters, and Mm, thorn counters, and who
2: knows what else. Cumulative upkeep counters. counters. (laughs) What was that, sorry? Cumulative upkeep counters
0: oh geez oh yeah.
2: <laughs> look i'm going deep yeah
0: um so it's a fun card it might enable some weird stuff i don't know that it's going to impact any known decks um it's just sort of a value engine kind of kind of card it some um, but it's mostly because it's so cheap it's just white white and it's instantly going to impact the battlefield if you've already got some creatures that really pushes it into the edge of hey this might see some play for me
1: yeah Oh well, if I needed any more reason to play, uh, Sarkin in something, uh, I can see this being, a, this being some kind of boost. <laughs> I want to play. I want to play uh Planeswalker that's name is very similar to mine. I just want him to actually be playable.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day your Sarkin will <laughs> come. Alright so the next one, um, we're moving into blue now, is Arcane Artisan. So it's two and a blue for a creature, human, wizard. Wizard being a fairly relevant type. um, And it's got the ability, it's an O3, but it's got the ability uh, two and a blue, tap, target player draws a card, then exiles a card from their hand. If a creature card is exiled this way, that player creates a token that's a copy of that card. And then when Arcane Artisan leaves the battlefield, exile all tokens created with it at the beginning of the next end step.
1: Yeah, what this is card. this is a weird card, but it's a card that obviously, the instant um, kind of parallel that you draw as soon as you see it is the strange love child between show and tell and Jace Friend's prodigy. So <laughs> yeah, <true. laughs> It's very bizarre. That's that's kind of what I thought. I thought, oh, this is an this is an interesting combination. Uh, now, will that does that mean it's going to be good? I'm not sure. But the 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 bizarre, funky version of show and tell, where you kind of play it out. The next turn you activate it, and then you put a creature into play, and then you hope that the arcane artisan doesn't die, so that your emeracle gets exiled. The, the weird way in which it cheats creatures out is, well, first of all, it lets you draw a card. So sometimes you have show and tell in hand and you don't actually have the creature you want to show in. But this gives you that Jace Friends Prodigy style ability to find a creature when you don't have one. And you can always just exile another card and it's not a creature and it's not relevant. You're just using it as a really, really overcosted loot on that particular time oh, that's a good point. i didn't think about yeah. it, it was just a bad loot, very strange true. like bad loot but the the clincher as well is that you would expect that when you know how you have like a master and then his various little underlings and when you kill the master or the underlings die that's a typical magic the gathering style approach to these things you you would expect to, to lightning bolt arcane artisan and then their emrakul will die then but it doesn't it gets exiled at the beginning of the next end step which is also strange so if you didn't deal with the arcane artisan on your turn they can still attack with that creature and then it will get exiled so it's it's really strange I, the one thing i can imagine this creature being very good with is lightning greaves So you equip Arcane Artisan, you activate it straight away, you put the creature out, then you equip the creature with Lightning Greaves, and then attack with it. So I can imagine that being a thing,
2: but it's very cumbersome. I think the three mana cost to activate it is probably going to push it out of Mm. uh, real playability. But look, I've seen weirder cards get played before. Yeah, exactly. it's (laughs) It's definitely interesting and pretty unique
0: and i guess if you're playing the sort of deck that tries to cheat things out be it through sneak attack or show intel sometimes in a singleton format sometimes just having a backup option even if it's significantly worse can be a way to keep your strategy alive once your opponent's dealt with your your primary ways to win
1: yeah that's that's really the fundamental with with you know highlander and, and when you think about it you go that deck that wants let's say the sneak and show deck so to speak uh And it only has a sneak and it only has a show. And then it's got a variety of other things like Through the Breach and Cunning Wish for the Through the Breach and so on. But Arcane Artisan goes, do you want to play Show and Telling in your deck? Yes, tick that box. Do you want to play Jay's Friends' Prodigy in your deck? Yes, tick that box. Hey, guess what? I'm a bad version of both. So maybe you want, maybe it makes the cut. I don't know. I'm I'm not sure. I'd be interested in seeing people play with it and maybe equip a Lightning Greaves to it.
2: (laughs) All right, let's move on to the next one. Uh, the next one is Fumble. So Fumble costs one and a blue. It's an instant. Return target creature to its owner's hand. Gain control of all auras and equipment that were attached to it, and then attach them to another creature.
1: Oh man, this card. Interesting.
2: Yeah, I,
1: I'm, I'm excited about this card because it's so innocuous, but it has such high upside. You know, in the same way, remember that card, Grip of Phyresis? When I read that on I a spoiler, I have lost
0: to group of favourites. Oh, you have! So I remember it. Well. Oh,
1: so good. When when I saw that on the spoiler, I just you know my my jaw literally dropped to the ground. You'll never believe what happened next. And um, when w- I've, I've been wanting to cast and actually grab something, but I never have had that happen. So so you know like fumble looks like the kind of card where you go, okay. The upside is. I'll bounce their creature and I'll gain control of their skull clamp and immediately equip it to something that I'm playing that is a one toughness and draw two cards. Uh, It's kind of a strange grip of Phyresis. Uh, So maybe it might not necessarily make it because grip has also been been decent as a sideboard
2: option but never really made it 100% in into every single deck. This might be the The same. The advantage it has over grip, though, is... It doesn't matter if they have the equipment out. Like, obviously, you'd much rather, you know, bounce their guy and gain control of uh, sort of green, black, and yeah. uzzah was jit <laughs> yeah, and Rancor or something. But sort of
0: green, black. Uh, <laughs> we, don't, we don't read them. Feast and Famine. <laughs> um,
2: but but you can just bounce their creature if you need to. Um, whereas Group of Fire mm. races if they don't have the equipment, I'm pretty sure does nothing.
0: It does absolutely nothing. Grip of Phynaresis, yeah, if you're interested, it's uh, two and a blue for an instant. So it's already a bit more expensive there. And it says, gain control of target equipment, then create a zero zero black Germ creature token and attach that equipment to it. So it does have the advantage of, like, you don't need to try and target a creature. You just target the equipment and you, you take it. Um, but, yeah, like you said, if they don't have an equipment or if they're running, like, one copy of Jite in their list um and that you never see it you've just got a dead card this card isn't yeah. you're not going to be excited to play it as just an unsummon but well
1: you're right i mean hey, like grip, grip has made there. it into some sideboards and and uh, as you've explained i reckon you're right fumble is better than grip of Phyresis. and if that's the case maybe this will see play and is into the royal the first half of into the royal is that playable well probably is you're never excited but is into the royal, plus gain control of an aura and equipment. That's the other boon, right? Aura. I don't know if well, that's ever relevant. Grandmore?
0: And it also
2: gains control of multiple equipment. The uh, is mine now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's, there's not a lot of auras that see play, but you will occasionally see a creature that's strapped up with um, you know, a jit and a skull clamp, or a jit and a sword mm. of some kind. Blue sword's not so good for you. Um, but you can gain control of multiple things, and it has a mode that isn't just rely on them having the equipment in play so good point um you know and how excited are you going to be to steal someone's battle skull it's great very yeah and yeah all (laughs) equipment all auras i like it well let's say playable yeah definitely (laughs)
0: all right i'm gonna read the next one i'm really excited about this card Mm -hmm. it is Spellseeker. it's two and a blue for a creature human wizard again more human wizards around When Spellseeker enters the battlefield, you may search your library for an instant or sorcery card with converted mana two or less, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. Mm. This card is amazing.
2: (laughs) This card's pretty good. Um, There was actually a lot of discussion within the community that maybe this needed preemptive pointing, which I didn't agree with. Um, Preemptive pointing has to be for pretty exciting reasons, but this card is very good. So... You know, Just in terms of cards that it searches for that are points, you've got things like well, you know, Ancestral Recall, Time Walk, Channel, Demonic Tutor, although tutoring for a tutor is not always the most exciting thing in the world. Um, Balance? I, I don't know. Uh, there, there are a heap of pointed cards that this searches for um, because, of course, one of the things that encourages a card to be worth points is that it's cheap. So this is more likely to fetch good pointed cards than not. It's a very powerful effect. It comes with a 1-1 body, which is not the best thing in the world, but it's not the worst. Um, you can fetch it up with Survival of the Fittest or Birthing Pod, and if you Birthing Pod it up, you've got a you know leftover 3-converted mana-cost creature that you can pod into something more exciting next turn. Oh, so, that
0: sounds so good. Yeah, it
2: really does. This card is going to be a bit nasty, I suspect. Is it worth a point? Maybe. So... I'd be interested to hear Sal's opinion on this as well, but mm. you've got to compare it to things like Merchant Scroll, which I think we took the point off recently.
1: Well, Merchant uh, but Scroll I can never is remember. one
2: uh, we're talking about muddle the mixture, muddle the mixture. Yeah, muddle it's the mixture is very similar to muddle.
1: Yeah. Very, very uh,
2: similar. Yeah, it, it's it's very similar to muddle. It gets a, a a subset of the things muddle gets, and is a one-one creature better than sometimes counter something? Well, maybe it's. It's kind of similar to Grim Tutor. It doesn't get as many things as Grim Tutor, but it doesn't deal you three damage. It's similar to some cards that have been taken off the points list and appear so far to be fine as zero points. But, I don't know. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see this get a point either in July or whenever um, Return to Return to Ravnica comes out. I also wouldn't be surprised for it not to get a point, you know, in six months. Basically, or it's...
1: Yeah, it's, its status as a watch list kind of uh, possible offender is entirely based on its uh, combo potential. If this gets to get slammed into a variety of different decks like Channel, Channel-style decks that just need a critical mass of consistently finding their namesake card every single game in the early stages of the game, it will get a point because of that. You know, there's so many cards that are locked on the points list, like... Dark Petition. You know they're 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 locked on the points list solely so that combo decks have to pay to use them. But if it wasn't for combo decks, they'd be perfectly fine to run. Like no no one's running. uh, Would people run Dark Petition at five mana in just black blue black control decks? They might. Maybe. But it's not very exciting. But it's not very exciting exactly. And so Spellseeker is quite exciting in control decks but it's
2: incredibly exciting for
1: any combo enthusiast and so if it does get pointed it would be based on that
2: yeah i think that's a good point to make for um, people listening is that if if this is going to get pointed it's going to be because it enables turn two or three kills if it's turn four or five combo kills then that's probably fine that's kind of the speed the format's at and because it's a three mana creature it's probably not going to enable a huge number of turn two or three kills um, I mean, prove me wrong mm. I, we'll see I'm what excited happens to see what
1: people brew with yeah, it Yeah, I'm excited to see someone just break the meta wide open with Spellseeker so that it's a no-brainer that it has to be pointed right now, it's we don't know because it's never seen the light of day yet and, and we just like to see it actually you know, have a month in the meta and, and tell us whether it needs to be pointed basically, Spellseeker, please tell us
0: my hope is that somebody has been already doing some testing with it. And oh, I'm so sure they have. As soon as Battle Bond drops, they can pick up a copy, jam it in their deck and start slinging in Eternal's Weekend and we can immediately see what an impact it has. Mm, mm. Yeah.
2: If, if some of the really exceptional Highlander brewers, like if you see uh, people like Isaac or Lachlan Wardsmith or those kind of really mm. exceptional Highlander brewers looking for copies of this on Eternal Weekend... Uh, the odds that it gains a point go up by quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> There's a good index, <laughs> very good index. <laughs> uh, excellent.
0: All right, shall we move on to the next one? Yes, yeah, uh, so the want next to read one. This
2: one up? Next one
1: is called Stunning Reversal. So this is again we're thinking about combo, right? So black three, so four mana for an in instant. It says the next time you would lose the game this turn, instead draw seven cards and your life total becomes one exile stunning reversal
2: so what do you think (laughs) yeah uh so there's only one deck that's realistically going to ever play this which is channel um the channel mirror combo for those the channel part i assume most people know lich's mirror is a bit more of an obscure card it's a five banner artifact that uh says whenever you'd lose uh, the next time you'd lose the turn uh go back to 20 and draw seven I think is essentially what it says. It's probably some other text, but whatever. It's close to that. Um, and, and this obviously fits into that deck as another combo-off option. It's probably not as good because you don't gain as much life, so you can't keep channeling. Mm. Um, but you draw seven cards, you get another crack. Um, it's, I don't know, it's an interesting card that's
1: very, very narrow. It just sits there and says, break me. Basically, that's what it's saying and we we'll just have to wait and see you know <laughs> who's going to stunningly break this this card i don't know
0: i do just want to give a shout out to the art because the art is fantastic on this card oh yeah it's a, it's a it's a big call out to when people do like a, a ledge grab in super smash brothers it's and pull themselves up from nowhere i love it <laughs> nice <laughs> so what do we have next all right so next up is najilla the blade blossom so it's two and a red for legendary creature, human warrior. She's a 3-2. And uh, she says, she's got quite a lot of text on it. Yeah, mm. quite a lot. Whenever a warrior attacks, you may have its controller create a 1-1 one, one white warrior creature token that's tapped and attacking. Then she has a uh, Wuburg. untap all attacking creatures they gain trample lifelink and haste until end of turn after this phase there is an additional combat phase activate this ability only during combat
1: yeah this card holy moly yeah i know it does a lot of stuff when when i read her the lines just kept going on and and every time a new line came up i'm like wait what what we get to do this and uh Basically, has has anyone attacked with Hero of Bladehold before? Because if you have, you'll feel like the game's got out of hand. Four mana, you attack, you make a couple of soldiers, and then the next turn, you attack again, you make even more soldiers, and they're battle crying. It's it's kind of ridiculous. But uh, that's at four mana. At three mana, Najila does something very, very similar, which is be a threat. It's a 3-2 at three. And when it attacks it makes a 1-1, which then continues to replicate itself over the course of the next turn and the turn up of that, because whenever a warrior attacks, which is also your 1-1 white warrior tokens that she makes, so uh, it's one of these creatures that needs to be bolted on site. Uh, it doesn't have the advantage of Hero of Blade holds for toughness, which means it will get bolted uh, and shock effect quite a bit, you know, Coligan's Commander, the like. But if we can put this in a deck. If, if I was thinking of a deck uh, just, just just that can slot this card in with very little change, it'd be into a Zoo deck that wants Greed Creep. So if we've only looked at her first ability, her being a 3-2 and being three mana, which is great. But that last ability could very, very easily be activated if you just put a Bayou and a Tundra in your Zoo deck, you don't mind drawing a 3-minor-3-2 three three that attacks as a 4-power creature, essentially. That's fine, right? That's, that's, that's not bad. It's fine in, a, in an aggro deck. But since you've splashed a Bayou and a Tundra, you also add Deathrite Shaman because you can drain with it. Then since you're able to fetch up you know, lands of different colors and actually produce Wooburg... You add Tribal Flames, maybe even Might of Alara, which are both entirely respectable spells at, say, four for your domain. You know, when you've got that buy you out, then in your zoo deck, your Tribal Flames is two minor for four damage. And Might of Alara will get you in another sneaky four damage here and there. But at five, it's insane. And then sometimes you just activate the Wooberg on Magila, untap all your creatures, attack again, and they will have Trample,
0: Lifelink, and Haste. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just. Make sure you bring me back some Christmas pudding when you're uh, back from Christmas. Time but <laughs> yeah. um, honestly, Najila is really good. She's got the uh, the impact, like you said, of here of Bladeholder. I think a, a similar thing is actually um, she's a better Brema's. Um, in many ways, Brimaz, in yeah, that she can just example. take over a board by herself. Except she's better than Bremaz in that if you already have warriors, um, you play her before combat, and as soon as they attack, she's going to start triggering.
2: Oh man! And then yes. you just have
0: to g- get some practice in with your um, exponential maths because that's how <laughs> these things are going to evolve. <laughs> now there is a bit of a note here, which is uh, her ability does trigger whenever a warrior attacks. This does include your um your opponent's <laughs> uh, warriors, so make sure you tell them that uh, you are declining to let them have have a one one. It doesn't really matter, <laughs> but um they might ask you, so it's it's something to be to be wary of.
2: Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, I mean i have I've have played five colors Zoo in Highlander before. Um, I've moved away from it because the mana base you don't need the extra colors basically, but yeah, mm. look, it could be a thing. Um, although you probably play a volcanic instead of a tundra, but it could still be uh, an entirely valid thing to try and do. So, yeah. An X card is a card called Peer's Whim. Uh, it's three in a green and it's a sorcery. For each player, choose friend or foe. Uh, and there's a couple of these friend or foe cards in the set, but this is probably the most interesting one. Uh, each friend, i.e., self, probably, searches their library for a land card and puts it onto the battlefield tap, uh, then shuffles their library. Each foe sacrifices an artifact or enchantment they can. It, it, it looked innocuous on the surface
1: and looked like just one of those, hey, it's a multiplayer card, let's dismiss it. But if you look at it like you search your library for a land, any land, not just basic land, and put it onto the battlefield tapped, and your opponent sacrifices an artifact or enchantment, of which most in most cases they only have one in Highlander, unless there's some kind of bizarre enchantress deck, or you know, you've got all three of your equipment out. But basically, it's going to hit one. Nice damping
0: sphere you had there. Yeah. Something (laughs) happened (laughs) happened to to
1: it. it. (laughs) Um, That was preventing my academy for tapping for multiple mana. Uh, So essentially, in my opinion, if reap and sow is playable, then piers whim is playable. I'm not saying it's good. But Reap and So is, has definitely seen play, especially as a card in Talarian Draw 7s, which basically always wanted to see its Talarian Academy. In games where you didn't see a Talarian Academy, you're having a bad day. But when you do see it, and it has re- so much redundancy to find it, then you get to go off. So this is a land tutor, and it, it is another way to just find your pointed card. So whenever you add a new card to Highlander, which is a zero point way of finding something that, that is worth one or more points, then it's really important to consider it as a potential card in your deck building. So whilst it is an expensive land tutor, um, especially if you're uh, playing a deck that values land and oftentimes the land you're finding taps for a lot of mana anyway, if you're that kind of a deck, then it probably is okay at at three and green. And there's also this kind of incidental hate, like we were saying, you know, Amelia's saying with Damping Sphere. Imagine this, you're playing a, a Talarian draw seven style of deck. Your opponent has damping sphere out and you go well my out is to find my academy you draw piers whim you find talarian academy and but wait there's more they have to sacrifice their damping sphere because it's the only artifact or enchantment they control and it unlocks your uh, lands to tap for more mana so i think i think this is playable
0: it's not always going to go down that way but every time it does you're just going to feel like a very powerful magician (laughs) yes
2: definitely so next on our list, uh, we're into the gold cards. This one's called Archon of Valor's Reach, uh, and it's four white-green for a creature-archon. dash I don't know why it's not an angel, but you know, such is life. Um, it has Flying Vigilance and Trample. Uh, as Archon of Valor's Reach enters the battlefield, choose Artifact, Enchantment, Instant, Sorcery, or Planeswalker. Players can't cast Spells of the Chosen Type, and it's a 5-6.
0: All right. So uh, it's a big body. It's got three relevant abilities for having a big body. Um, But the reason to play it is that ability to lock out a spell type, essentially. Um, Choosing instant seems very powerful um, as a way to immediately protect it and then start swinging. Um, And if you have any way to make copies of it, then you can pretty much lock the game down. (laughs) You do have to be careful because it affects both players. Um, so don't choose instant and then try to path to exile something in its way because that's just not going to work. You're going to get yourself a warning there. Um, (laughs) Is that going to be a meme where it's
1: like, who would win instant or one reachy boy?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, like it's an interesting card. We haven't had too many of these like entire type lockout effects, um, but it is six mana, so if you're if you're
2: playing this, you want to untap and win, pretty much. And there's a couple of decks that could plausibly slot this in. It might be something that Elves wants against in the sideboard against certain strategies, because you can uh, Green Sun Zenith for it and whatever. And against some decks, if you just say no more artifacts, they're going to have a pretty um, sad time. And some reanimator decks might consider playing something like this as uh, a way to lock out certain categories of opponent. Um, So if your opponent's got lots of counterspells and you say no more instants, it's going to be very easy to get your giant fatties into play.
1: Well, I'm going to bring us a card that I'm very excited about. It's called Azra Oddsmaker. So it's 1BR, so the Colligan's Command mana cost, for an Azra warrior. And the Azra are, I guess, some kind of half-demon type uh, creatures. And it's a 3-3. So you're on parity with minor But this is the ability. Very, very specific. At the beginning of combat on your turn, you may discard a card. If you do, choose a creature. Whenever that creature deals combat damage to a player this turn, you draw two cards. Interesting, hey?
2: Two cards? Two cards is pretty good. And, I mean, this is an interesting ability. Obviously, you're at risk of getting two for one if they... You know, you choose your curdape, and they lightning bolt it, and then you don't get to draw any cards, and are a little bit sad. But there's a lot of situations where, as an aggro deck, and this is definitely a card that wants to go in uh, aggro style decks, I think, you've got you know excess lands, or your opponent's played something that means you can't cast instants anymore, or whatever, and you're you're essentially discarding a blank, and yeah, maybe they'll kill the creature, or maybe it incentivizes them to block the creature that you've targeted but sometimes they can't and you get to draw two potentially new exciting cards in place of your you know fourth fetch land or something mm, it's um, a weird
1: rummage very very weird rummage and it, it's kind of comparable to you know when you call something a magpie because it hits the player and you draw a card it's kind of like that with a little bit of an investment because you might get blown out but at the end of the day the the ability is also a static ability so if you've got other creatures out, and if you're playing BR, then you'll probably you probably have you know a blood soak champion or a or a blood or something out. Then when you play this, it immediately can trigger at the beginning of combat for your other creature.
0: And it's pretty free to put it on a uh, a blood soak champion mm, mm. that you can just get back, or if you've got any sort of decent evasion. Then... All right. So the next card is last one standing. It's one black red again for a sorcery, and it's choose a creature at random, then destroy the rest. Pretty mm. simple.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's one of those those cards with just a you know single not a single line of text but you know one sentence, and I think it's probably comparable to, you know how people were really uh, going crazy over Bontu's Last Reckoning, because it's a three uh, converter mana cost sweeper with some kind of condition and in that case the condition was you better win this turn because next turn you're not going to be doing anything and you're probably going to get ruffle stomped uh the thing is here i think the the condition could be steeper because when you're thinking of wrathing away the board you don't really you very rarely think I'm going to Wrath away the board, but I don't mind if one creature is around. Like, you're casting a Wrath because you are going to die and you need to make sure that you stabilise. And Last One Standing might not let you stabilise. The only instance I can see it being useful in is when you also have creatures and you might actually benefit from casting this rather than go I need this to wrath everything oh no I don't wrath everything because I have no creatures and my opponent still has one creature and even though it's just a Llanowar Elves they, that, that, that's still a creature that then attacks and, and, uh, or equips an equipment to it and and you're gone so I don't think it's going to be good but you know
2: <laughs> I think there's some other circumstances where it might be useful so there's a number of lands like uh, Maze of Ith and um, uh, or something or other um, which are very good at dealing with one creature and are very bad at dealing with multiple creatures. So if you've got a couple of cards like that in your deck, you don't care if they've got one left because um, you can just keep sending it into the maze. And, and also I think uh, sometimes in a control deck, you know, if they've got out a real swarm, getting them down to just one two-power creature is uh, it's not as good as getting them down to zero, but it's also cheaper. Mm-hmm. So am I sure it's going to see play? Well, no. Um, might it see play? Yeah, look, it easily could.
1: Yeah, I think maybe building around to make sure you don't get the downside seems okay.
0: So the next card is our artifact. It is Sentinel Tower. So it costs four mana for an artifact. Whenever an instant or sorcery spell is cast during your turn, Sentinel Tower deals damage to any target equal to one plus the number of instant and sorcery spells cast before that
2: spell this turn. (laughs) Right. So, <laughs> it's a fancy <laughs> way of saying Storm. <laughs> yeah, so Storm is is one uh, obvious place where this might get play. Storm's in an interesting position where you don't actually want too many kill conditions, so uh, the the standard sort of JP Storm list is already playing three in uh, Brain Freeze, Tendrils, and um, Empty the Warrens, Empty the Warren. and it's not clear that you've got room for more or if this is strictly better than them, but it is definitely an interesting option. Um, it's got some advantages. Like if you somehow untap with this in play, you only need a storm count of six to kill your opponent. And six mm. is not very much. And often, and often five will get there. It's also it's a lot better than uh, there was an artifact in Kaladesh that was sort of similar. Yeah. That um, gave yeah. you life instead. But the advantage of this is so if you're storming for ten, which is what you normally want to do to kill someone with tendrils, and you cast this as sort of spell seven or eight you still probably kill them because you're doing nine and ten with the last two spells whereas with um uh, whatever the card is from kaladesh you needed to get to 50 so you needed to cast like six things after it at, at the mm-hmm. very least um which is not a very realistic situation so yeah you can kill with this the other place that i think that this has potential to see play um and i didn't Actually, realize until Millie Redder that you got to deal the damage when anyone casts an instant on your turn. But um, in some control decks, so let's imagine you're a kind of an artifacty blue or blue red control deck. This is kind of just an interesting value engine. So you play it on turn mm. four. Uh, you might not want to tap out for it, but you know, good luck, have fun. And then in your next turn, you go, all right, I'm gonna lightning bolt you and kill your elf. Uh, and then I'm gonna brainstorm and kill your two two, and then I'm gonna ponder and deal you three to the face. And that's kinda sweet. Where you just get to get a lot of incremental advantage out of it and it's because you get to deal the damage for your opponent's spells, it's kind of ridiculous if you can force a counter war on your turn. Uh so oh.
0: I also hadn't noticed that it was whenever an instant or sorcery spell at all is cast during your turn. Um... So yeah, that's that's very interesting. Note.
2: I'm more. Yeah, so if you than cast started, some spell yeah. and, and your opponent has to you know remand it and then you remand back and then they cast something else and you force of will you're dealing an enormous quantity of of damage mm-hmm. um, and putting them in a position where they actually after your second counter spell it's incredibly risky. Or so after your first counter of their counter, it's incredibly risky for them to keep going. Wow. Yeah, see, all
1: of these cards that we've seen before, like that card from Kaladesh you were talking about, have been, look, this is a dedicated Storm deck, and you're going to do the thing. Whereas Sentinel Tower actually seems like it can fit into non-Storm decks, which seems like blasphemy. (laughs)
2: This
1: is interesting.
2: I like the card. I'm actually just going to look it up again and make sure we've got the text right, because it seems really good. Yeah, like I was
0: copying from Scryfall, so it should be. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, I'm just. This is my surprise voice. (laughs) 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 Uh, Whenever an instant or sorcery spell is cast during your turn, yeah, okay, so it's just um, have fun countering my stuff and me bolting you. Yeah, this this seems quite good. I like it. So
0: weird. Yeah, (laughs) it's so weird. Yeah. Yeah. So some kind of blue red really, deck. I really which, love it. Like yeah. I don't I'm not the sort of player that typically enjoys storm decks because I I'm not a I don't like the puzzle sort of deck. Yeah. But the fact that this makes it a little bit easier because even if you're just kind of doing stuff on your turn, you're getting incidental value. Mm-hmm. I'm like mm, I'm a bit more interested in that. It's uh setting it up more than like it gives you, or rather, it gives you more options than just, uh, okay, this is it. This is the turn. We're going in. Like,
1: mm. yeah,
0: absolutely. And, and I guess I stress out in those situations where this is
2: a <laughs> I, I guess fun. Thinking about it, um, because it's designed for a two-headed giant play, it makes sense that you want to be able to benefit when your other head casts instance or sorceries mm. during yeah, your shared turn.
0: Now that, yeah, you're it right, because it's sense. coming from a 2 giant set. Yeah. That makes the design make a lot more sense. <laughs> so.
2: Well played, wizards. Well played. <laughs> well done. Oh.
0: Okay, so that's it for the cards that we've got, that we think have some serious chance of seeing some play, or like a medium chance of seeing some play at least. Um, I'm just going to quickly go through some of our honourable mentions. We're not going to read them fully, but hmm. we'll just let you know why it came up as a blip on our radar. Will Kenrith. Now there are actually two planeswalkers in this set, but um, we just didn't see that Rowan had much to offer. Mm. But Will Kenrith, um, he's four blue blue for a planeswalker. He comes in at four. Um, his two main abilities are plus two and minus two, um, and his ultimate is interesting. So yeah, I think this, this six card. Mana is, yeah,
1: six mana is probably going to push him out, but his his plus two manages two creatures in an aggro uh, against an aggro deck, which is good. His minus two reduces your cost of spells, which could be combo-rific, but also draws two cards, allowing you to power a combo. I think he's kind of similar to Tamio, where they're good at managing creatures, they draw you cards, but they cost quite a lot, so only in a very specific
2: deck does he yeah. want to get played. But six the payoffs are huge. Is an awful lot for a Planeswalker in Highlander. Mm. Um, like Six mana Elspeth, who is still definitely the best mm. six mana Planeswalker mm. sees... Yes no play. Uh, I think six mana Chandra sees play in big red, but that's because it's red. Um, I would love to see this card see play or some of the other partners, but I think Wizards have costed them all, all the partner cards fairly cautiously.
1: Yeah, for Commander, I
2: assume.
0: Good play, but if you're going to spend six mana on a Planeswalker, you've probably got better options. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then we've got Mindblade Render. Um, so that's one and a black for a 1-3 creature, an Azra Warrior. Um, it's... It's sort of a magpie, I guess. Yeah,
1: it's a bizarre magpie, right? So you get to draw a card and lose a life when it deal when a warrior deals combat damage to opponents. It's a very kind of specific, but I think that a one three in a format full of two ones and one ones is going to be quite able to consistently attack through in the early game, but. Uh, the comparison I have is it's it's like John Finkel, right? So Finkel costs three for this kind of magpie effect, but it has evasion. So you take away evasion and you take away one mana, mind blend render. But the thing is, is that good enough? I think aggro doesn't want it. Mm, no. I don't know. Control doesn't want it because it'll have evasion. It's just kind of probably in a strange spot and probably won't get
0: played. She's also, she's never going to draw you more than one card a turn by the way that they've worded the ability. <laughs> yeah. Because it's whenever your opponents are dead damage, if any of that damage was dealt by a, war- a warrior, combat damage is dealt all at once. So mm. I think that's how it works out. <laughs> I, I didn't actually think to check that. And the FAQ for the set isn't quite out yet.
2: But... Unless some of your warriors have first strike uh, is the only way I can see it.
0: Yeah, exactly. All right. Great. Now, the next one i am gonna read it entirely that's because <laughs> its text is mind-boggling this is grothama all devouring it's three green green for a ten eight <laughs> legendary creature worm and when it's on the battlefield other creatures have whenever this creature attacks you may have it fight grothama all devouring when Grothama leaves the battlefield, each player draws cards equal to the amount of damage dealt to Grothama this turn by sources they controlled. Oh, I'm so confused. Yeah, it's, it's a really so strange, strange creature. Strange. Basically, Basically, the, the, the only flavor reason of it is yeah, yeah. All your opponents' creatures have to team up to <laughs> deal damage to this thing to kill it because it's a ten. It's a five mana ten eight. Um, they'll probably all die, but if they manage to kill Grothama, then they'll draw probably at least eight cards unless they used a Death Touch ability. I, I can't see this being in a Highlander deck. Yeah. Maybe, or maybe not a seven-point Highlander deck. Let's say that. someone, okay. Basically,
1: someone is going to make a combo with this. Someone will do something. <laughs> I'm not saying it's good, but they're going to have creatures. They're going to attack with their own creatures, which are then going to target their own Grothama. And... Uh, they're going to use that to draw a bunch of cards. I, I
2: don't know. Something will happen. I'm not saying it's good though. <laughs> I mean, if you're playing some kind of um, what, what's the what's the bird that does this? Um, yeah, the swans. The swans of, of Brinagol. Bryn Bryn if, yeah. if you're playing swans of Brinagol and uh, seismic assault and those sorts of cards, this is kind of another swan. With a bunch of weird additional texts, so maybe yeah, there's something crazy. It doesn't end up working
0: there. quite as well as you want it to work. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't flicker it and stuff. It's it's just a strange card, so. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> Best left to ADH. Yeah, we might let the commanders, the commander player sort it out. Speaking of commanders, the last one that was on our list was Rushblade Commander. It's black, red for a 2-2. Warriors have haste. Yeah, this... Or this... rather, Warriors, your team controls have haste. Your
1: team controls, yeah. I am on my team by myself forever alone. Uh, when, <laughs> when I look at Rushblade Commander, I thought it was good because I'm thinking, oh, yeah, it's a 2 for a 2-2 with haste, and it's going to give your Bloodsoak Champion haste as well. Oh, wait a second. Bloodsoak Champion's oh. raid triggers after the... Ah. Oh. <laughs> Just... It's
2: just a bit of a nombo, yeah, yeah. and it doesn't yeah. do what you want it to do, so it's probably not good. Two mana two twos aren't where you want to be in an aggressive deck, unless <laughs> they've got much better abilities than that. Mm.
0: Unless you're curving this into um, the the warrior that makes more warriors. No, oh, Najila, yeah, that's right. Perfect. Yeah, Najila. Like, if you can guarantee that you're going to play this on turn two and then play Najila on turn three, uh, that's
2: amazing. But geez, that's a hard setup. <laughs> yeah, I, I've actually got one more. Uh, that wasn't on, well, it was further up our list and confused us all. Um, Virtuous's Maneuver, which is a three-mana spell that, it's one of the friend or foe ones, so basically you get to return a creature from your graveyard and your opponents get to sacrifice a creature. It's kind of like uh, the Rise, rise half Fall? of Rise Fall, yeah. but probably not as good. Um, it's, it's the sort of card that could see some marginal play, but it's not very exciting. So yeah, that wraps up our
0: Battlebond set review. Um, we hope that you got excited by some of the cards in here. Um, I don't think it's got quite as many uh, hitters as Dominaria did, but it's got some interesting options, which tends mm. to happen when they're releasing cards that aren't going to be seeing standard or modern play. So,
2: Yeah, I think it's definitely got some gems in there. And, I mean, compared to Dominaria, this set's like 50% reprints or something, so it was never going to have quite as many.
0: Exactly, exactly. So, uh, hopefully we see some of these cards in play at Eternals Weekend, which, uh, sadly, I will not be in attendance at because I will be going to GP Vegas. Um, <laughs> That's Saav, a... you'll be at Eternals I'll Weekend. be there.
1: I'm ready to see people's cool brews.
0: Excellent. And uh, speaking of GP Vegas, that brings us to the winner of our competition. So, we saw all of your suggestions for what decks should be taken to America to sell the format to our overseas brethren. And um, we discussed the options and the reasons that people gave, and we landed on a winner.
1: Drum roll. Duh, 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 duh.
0: The winner is Micah Daly Carey.
1: Congratulations, Micah. So congratulations,
0: Whee! Micah. Hooray. Um, he suggested, he suggested a mid-range Jund, and the reason given was it's that interactive creature decks make for really engaging games and are fun to play blind because all your top decks are great. Also, never underestimate people's
2: desires to Jund them right out. <laughs> um, jund is a, a really good deck. Um, I think we're going to go for the, a similar list to the one that Chris Addy won Nationals with uh, last year. Which has, is a great deck with a lot of options, uh, it's got a lot of play to it, it's got sweet points, because it's points are uh, Strip Mine, Wasteland, Demonic uh, Tutor, and... Uh, crop Rotation or something? I can't remember. Yeah, or something. something it's also coming. got a Sensei's Divining top in that list, because it's, it's oh, top, uh, before right, we yes. pointed that. Yeah. So we'll you know have to do some trimming, but yeah, it is a great fun deck. Um...
1: And it gives a different angle to Jund said. decks that people are used to. They play the Jund decks in uh, Modern and then they pick it up and they go, oh this is similar to what I know and then they draw, you know uh, they, they they draw what, its land package and yeah. they go, wow this is really cool. So yeah, it's a cool different <laughs> it, way of thinking about things for other it, formats. It's actors. also a
2: deck that's got uh, a couple of those cards that are not Playable in Legacy or Vintage, but not legal in anything else except for uh, formats mm. like like uh, Titania. So this is definitely one of those decks that you sit down against, and occasionally they'll play a Titania on turn, you know, four or so, and you will just uh, start putting a series of Juggernauts into play and destroying your opponent. With them. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is a lot definitely. of fun for the person destroying. So it's a great
0: deck suggestion. Uh, congrats, Micah. Um, we'll reach out to get this Damping Sphere to you as soon as we can. And thank you to everyone who entered and for all your suggestions. We're really stoked that so many people are listening to the show and are passionate about the format. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had some discussion amongst ourselves about what other decks will be brought. Um, the first one, of course, we already knew was going to be my own blue-black control list. Uh, deck number two is now a mid-range John list. Um, and we landed on a deck for, deck's familiar to both of you two, right? Mm,
1: yes. Storm yeah. and uh, Vance's very own Naya Zoo. So at the end of the day, we've got an aggro deck, we've got a combo deck, we've got a control-ish tempo
2: deck, and we have a mid-range deck. Yeah, so it's a good representation of the format. They're all really strong decks. Um, so... If you're listening from overseas and you find Millie at the GP, I'm sure if she's not in the middle of a game, she'd be happy to show off the format to you.
0: So, yeah, um, I'm really looking forward to the GP. Come find me, come say hi. Um, If you want to know where I'm at or what I'm doing, um, just follow my Twitter at Foxes for Sale. I'm sure I'll be tweeting a lot during the event. Um, But it does mean that I won't be around for the next episode um, due to when we record them. Uh, so I'm going to leave you in the more than capable hands of Just Sav and Vance here, yeah. um, and they're going to talk about the results at Eternals Weekend, I believe, based on the time. We've yes, got something they're going to talk time. about. The, yeah. the results at Eternals Weekend. Yep. And um, get get take a look at some community building content as well. It's going to be a really great episode. That's the plan.
2: We don't always stick to the plan, but we get some approximation on it.
1: <laughs> when Millie's not around, we're probably going to go so off tangent. It's going to be terrible. <laughs> the gonna fans are going to listen the be, Yeah, they're going to be like, begging for hey you back. Don't worry.
0: <laughs> remember what the topic was? Because I don't. And you guys clearly don't. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure whatever you come up with, it'll be really great. And I'm, I'm putting in a little bit of work to help you prepare for it. So as always, uh, thanks for listening to the episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, we're just going to run through a couple of things, such as you may remember or not remember from last episode, but we have started at Patreon. So you can find it at patreon.com HighlanderCast. If you're enjoying the show, it's a great way for you to show us a little support and help give us some resources to make the show even better for you by um, improving our audio equipment or improving the software, um, any of the above. And uh, we're looking at setting up some perks for you if you do become a supporter at the Patreon. You can also follow the show on Twitter at HighlanderCast, or you can go and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash HighlanderCast. We try to keep it simple by keeping it the same each time. Mm. You can shoot us questions, give us feedback, and we can answer you directly from either of those places. If you'd like to follow any of us individually, only myself and Vance are on Twitter. I'm at FoxesForSale, as I said earlier, and Vance is at Notions. If you'd like to get more involved in the Seven Point Highlander community, go check out OzEternal.com or search up Seven Point Highlander on Facebook to find the Facebook group. We also have a dedicated Discord channel, so check out the show notes for the link to that. There's a lot of interesting conversation, people brewing decks, um, talking about points changes. It's a great, friendly, interactive community there. And I think that wraps it up. So once again, thanks for listening, everyone. And I'll catch you when I'm back from the United States.
2: Thanks Talk all. to you all next time. Bye.